We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in to the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane for LakersNation.com. lot to talk about today. It is game week. The regular season kicks off Tuesday night when the Lakers take on the defending champs, the Golden State Warriors ring night for the Warriors. The Lakers want to go up to Golden State and try to spoil their evening. Solo show today. If you're watching over the YouTube channel, you can see that it is just me. We've got plenty of to break down. Speaking of YouTube, make sure you are subscribing to the YouTube channel and don't forget to ring the notification bell as well so you get notified every time we put out a new video. If you were on the podcast side, you're listening over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Make sure you are subscribing and toss us a little five-star rating and review over on Apple. Certainly doesn't hurt with our rankings over there. We would definitely appreciate it. All right, lots to dive into. So a little bit of wrap-up here from the weekend. Need to talk about some transactions about the Lakers before we head into our first regular season game. By the way, tomorrow evening or this evening, if you're listening to this or watching this on Monday, Sean Davis is going to go live at 7 o'clock Pacific time and do an X's and O's breakdown of what to expect in the matchup against the Golden State Warriors on Tuesday night. On Tuesday's podcast, I'm going to have Sam Esfandiari uh, from the Light Years podcast is going to join me and give me kind of the Warriors perspective and we'll break down the game, preview everything for you coming up. So that's going to be on Tuesday that you'll be able to check out that Lakers Nation podcast just to give you an idea of what we have on the way. All right, let's kick things off with something the Lakers did on Saturday. They decided to give their last rest roster spot to Matt Ryan. I was a little bit surprised that this was the decision that they made. I thought the most likely what the Lakers were going to do is they were going to leave their 15th and final roster spot open, but but they felt like they had a great need in the shooting department, and they, they certainly do. I believe they only averaged about 30% from three in preseason. Not great. They do project to be one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league based on the percentages of the guys that are currently on the roster, which is, again, a major challenge when you're trying to create space out there on the floor. Matt Ryan can give you a bit of that. The downside to doing this, to give, giving Matt Ryan that final roster spot, and this is why I thought the Lakers might not do this, was that they would be giving up a little bit of flexibility. Now, it is, is a non-guaranteed deal, so if they need that roster spot, they can always wave Matt Ryan in a pinch. Not a huge problem or anything like that, but just a little extra step you have to take should 
I don't know, maybe a trade or something like that materialize where they might need an open roster spot, but non-guaranteed that takes away some of the sting of using the roster spot there. But really it's financial. That was the biggest, biggest reason why I thought the Lakers probably wouldn't use that final roster spot because if they keep this spot filled for the entire season, it's going to cost them when all said and done somewhere in the range of about $7 million when you factor in the luxury tax. Now, this may not be a long-term thing. Again, non-guaranteed deal. Matt Ryan even mentioned something about this on Twitter, saying whether it's for a week, for two weeks, for a month, the entire season, whatever, he's going to give his all. I think there is an understanding there, at least this is my guess, that this may not end up being a season-long deal for Matt Ryan. You look at the Lakers, some of the injuries they're dealing with right now, which I'm going to get into in just a moment, it would make sense why they would want an extra healthy player on the roster for the time being. And then as certain players, like maybe Troy Brown Jr., start to get healthy, maybe Matt Ryan, they ultimately part ways with him, or perhaps when a trade opportunity does become available. But in any event, Matt Ryan gets the 15th and final roster spot for the Lakers, and we'll see if he can give them the kind of floor spacing that they need for however long he's on the roster. Who knows? Maybe he fits great and clicks and everything's fantastic. And he, and he stays on the roster for the entire season. That would certainly be wonderful. Great story behind Matt Ryan as well. Something we'll have to dive into uh, one of these days. Uh, let's get into some of the injuries going on around the team, starting with Troy Brown Jr. Now, this is there's not really an update here. Just I've had some people asking me about him. Still out due to a back injury. The Lakers knew, they've been mentioning this for about a week now, that he was not going to be ready for the start of the regular season. So he is out for tomorrow night's game against the Golden State Warriors. Hopefully they get him back sooner rather than later. They certainly need his help on the wing. They could use any kind of depth they could get there. This does probably push more minutes over onto Juan Toscano Anderson with Troy Brown Jr. out. But again, dealing with a back issue, not expected to be available against the Golden State Warriors. On the flip side of that, Anthony Davis and Lonnie Walker Jr., both of them should be available. In fact, the Lakers on Sunday put out some footage from their practice session that they had. And there was in, included in there, there was footage of Anthony Davis cutting baseline and dunking. So clearly he's healthy. He is good to go against the Warriors Tuesday night. The Lakers did hold him out on Friday. Didn't even fly him to Sacramento, still dealing with some tightness in his back. But based on what he was doing in practice on Sunday, I'd say he is pretty darn close to 100%. Same thing with Lonnie Walker dealing with that ankle issue. But there was a still image that was put out by the Lakers of Lonnie Walker dunking. It was like a Statue of Liberty dunk that they were showing off. So I would imagine if he's doing that, he's probably just fine as well. Both of these guys will play Tuesday night against the Golden State Warriors. Interesting about Anthony Davis, Dave McMenamin of ESPN had this in a piece that he wrote, mentioned that those in the front office felt like even when AD was healthy, he wasn't living up to his billing as being a true superstar. He wasn't that guy that they thought they had in 2020 when they won the championship. They haven't seen that level of Anthony Davis. So I've been saying this all offseason. This is going to be a huge season for Anthony Davis, hugely important season because this is not just about Anthony Davis proving to everybody else around the NBA that he's not street clothes, that he can stay healthy, and not a great start when you consider how many preseason games that he missed. But it's not just about proving that he can stay healthy. It's about proving to the Lakers that he can be the 1A guy moving forward. Remember, that was the plan when Anthony Davis came to town, was that as LeBron eventually aged out, Anthony Davis was going to be right there. He'd be in the prime of his career, and he would be taking the reins. He would be running the team into the future. Remember, he does turn 30 this spring. So Anthony Davis has a lot to prove this season, 
both to all the people that have been critical of him for missing so many games, but also to the Lakers. I think he needs to prove to them that he can be their 1A superstar moving forward because the last couple of seasons have now thrown that into question. So a lot on the line for Anthony Davis this season. Russell Westbrook. We saw him suffer a hamstring injury against the Sacramento Kings. The timing was terrible. I mean, look, it's never a good time for a hamstring injury, but Russell Westbrook, the plan was Darvin Ham was going to bring him off the bench, finally make that change that we've been talking about for, I mean, literally a year now. We've been talking about maybe Russell Westbrook will be best coming off the bench. Finally, we were going to get to see it. Russ came off the bench. The whole idea was you can stagger his minutes with LeBron a little bit. You can let him kind of have his own team of sorts with the bench unit and just let Russ be Russ and, and off you go. Well, Russell Westbrook only played five minutes against the Sacramento Kings and then had a hamstring issue. And most of those minutes, LeBron was on the floor as well. So Darvin Ham, any benefit he could have really received from that game against the Kings, it was gone. It was out the window. He didn't get a look at a potential starting lineup because Lonnie Walker, Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder, who I'll get to in a minute, those guys were all out. And then he didn't get a look at the bench unit either because Russell Westbrook only lasted five minutes and then went out. Well, the update on him is that he does have a sore hamstring. Fortunately, imaging did not reveal any kind of significant injury or anything like that. So if that is a great sign. There is a possibility that he plays Tuesday night against the Golden State Warriors, but no word just yet whether or not that would include coming off the bench or if he would be in the starting lineup. But we'll talk a bit more about that in just a moment. Last on the injury report, Dennis Schroeder. He came to training camp late due to visa issues, ultimately arrives and then plays for nine minutes. And that's it in preseason. Suffers a ligament injury in his thumb. The Lakers are concerned it could be a long-term issue, according to reports. And he is not going to be available against the Golden State Warriors. As of this moment, we don't know the severity of the injury or how long he's going to be out. But again, the rumors and reports are that the Lakers fear that it's going to be a long-term thing. Another interesting note that came out of McMenamin's piece was that the Lakers, they initially planned for Dennis Schroeder to sign him after they traded Russell Westbrook. That was going to be their plan, was trade Russell Westbrook, then go sign Dennis Schroeder. But what happened was Schroeder played so well in Eurobasket that other teams started to become interested in Schroeder. So they finally said, okay, well, let, let's just sign him. Let's not risk losing him. Let's just sign him right now and not wait until we trade Russell Westbrook to do it because we don't know if we're going to be able to get this done or not. Remember, the reporting is that the Lakers were on the verge of trading Russell Westbrook the night before media day, did not do that. They are going to continue to explore trades into the regular season. In fact, Adrian Wojnarowski mentioned that the other day, confirmed that the Lakers will indeed start ramping up Russell Westbrook trade talks again once the regular season commences. I, people reacted to that as though, as though that was something new. It's not. We've been saying this for a month, if not more at this point, that if the Lakers had to go into the regular season with Russell Westbrook on the roster, that didn't mean it was going to stay that way, particularly after Rob Palenka shared at Media Day that they would be willing to trade their 2027 and 2029 first-round picks in the right move, in a move that would make them a contender. It's very clear that they're not set on keeping Russell Westbrook and just having cap space available next summer. They will use that trade chip if the right move comes along. They didn't feel like the rumored deal for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald the night before media day was the correct deal to surrender both the 2027 and 2029 first 
uh, unprotected in. They didn't feel like that was the right path for them, but they are going to continue to explore options with Russell Westbrook. You'd have to imagine teams around the NBA are probably going to let the first five, 10 games of the season kind of take place and then let the dust settle a little bit, see what's what, see what the landscape looks like. And then you'd have to imagine that the Lakers will start to really poke around the Russell Westbrook trade front. Again, doesn't mean anything gets done, but they've got all the way until the middle of February when we hit the trade deadline to ultimately pull off a deal. The question for the Lakers and the gamble that they're taking here is that with the roster as is, they can keep their heads above water long enough to find the right trade for Russell Westbrook that will take them to that next level. So this is going to be a topic during the entire season. Dennis Schroeder, of course, is sort of their fallback plan, but this ligament injury in his thumb might wind up being a bit of a setback here for them. The idea was that Schroeder could fill Westbrook's role once they finally parted ways with Russ. Now, this all brings us to a bigger discussion about who starts against the Golden State Warriors. And this is, look around the NBA right now. Look around the NBA. Look at the top-tier teams around the league. How many of them don't know who's in their starting lineup right now? Not many. Hell, how many teams around the NBA, period, don't know what their starting lineup is going to be as of this moment? Now, I'm not saying that, that Darvin Ham doesn't have an idea. I'm sure Darvin has an idea. The coaching staff has an idea. But it's very clear with most teams who their starters are, right? It's been a story that Reggie Jackson versus John Wall is a thing, and that's still kind of being decided for the Clippers. That's one position. If you look at the Lakers, there are two starters still that are locked in, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's it, especially now that Darvin Ham is, has acquiesced to the idea of moving Russell Westbrook to the bench. We have no clue who's going to start for this team. It could be Lonnie Walker. It could be Kendrick Nunn. It could be Austin Reeves. It could be Damian Jones. It could be Thomas Bryant. It could be any number of guys that could be in the starting lineup. Patrick Beverly, throw him into the mix. There are lots of different options, and we don't know who it's going to be. And part of that is, in preseason, we saw LeBron sit out a bunch of games. We saw Westbrook sit out a bunch of games. We saw Anthony Davis sit out a bunch of games, and that made it really tough for Darvin Ham to really experiment with any lineups and get a sense of what the starting unit will really look like. Remember, we started off preseason in the starting lineup of Kendrick Nunn, Russell Westbrook, LeBron, AD, and Damian Jones. Now, since then, as they've gone throughout preseason, it feels like Ham has moved away from that. That Kendrick Nunn has been more put into a sixth-man type of role, which I actually like for him quite a bit. He's also moved towards Anthony Davis being the starting center, which would suggest that Damian Jones doesn't get that job, nor does Thomas Bryant. But now, with them not really getting a look at the exact starting five, I mean, there's there's a pretty good chance that the Lakers starting five on opening night has not played together yet in an actual game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Think about that. You're going up against the defending champions, the Golden State Warriors, the defending champs who have had a very consistent roster. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, they've been together for years. Andrew Wiggins obviously win a championship with him. Kevon Looney, he's been around forever. You're going up against a team full of guys who have played together for years now. And for the Lakers, you have a pretty good chance that you're putting out a starting five that literally has not played one minute together before including preseason play that is a difficult challenge to overcome and what this does is it brings us back into something that i wrote about on my Substack, trevorlane.substack.com which you guys should go check out free to subscribe to by the way so go check that out as well but i wrote about this idea that the lakers they keep churning over their roster they don't commit to anybody long term and from the front office perspective what that's doing is it's preventing them from having any kind of stability and any kind of consistency. So the Lakers are constantly trying to play catch up. See, here's the thing in the NBA right now, in the NBA right now, you've got a lot of player movement. And I think that's actually been a positive thing for the NBA. When you look at the news cycle around the NBA, it's really become a 365 day a year thing. Like even in the off season, you have fans that are paying very close attention to the NBA, particularly when you get to the draft, when you get to free agency, when we talk about trades, there are people who enjoy that part of the year more than when the games are actually being played. I mean, that's a whole other discussion, a whole other can of worms to open. But the NBA transaction calendar has become a very big story in and of itself. And the player movement that we've seen, the increased player movement, is certainly part of that. But what's also has happened is that in this era of player movement, where you've got players jumping around teams pretty frequently, what it's done is it's created an advantage for teams that are able to have consistency from season to season because other teams are integrating new pieces. Those teams that are not or are primarily are the same, have their key players still in place, have an advantage, particularly in the early going as other teams are trying to get their legs under them. Well, this is two seasons in a row now where the Lakers are trying to incorporate new pieces, basically an entirely new roster. Even if you go back three off seasons, you go back to when they added Montrez Harrell, Marcus Saul, right? Dennis Schroeder came in the first time, Wes Matthews, all those guys. That was still a decent amount of change for the Lakers to incorporate. And I understand why they were doing that at that time. But the bottom line is that for the Lakers, now two seasons in a row, they've had a brand new roster. Now, last year's roster, of course, needed to be burned to the ground. That was awful. That was terrible. Uh, it was probably a little bit cathartic to actually dismantle that team, given how bad that was. So I'm not saying that they should have hung on to that roster or anything, but I'm saying this is an interesting issue for the Lakers when you've got all these guys now again this season on one-year deals. If Lonnie Walker does great for the Lakers, he looked really good in the starting lineup a few preseason games ago before he got injured. He looked, he looked very good. If he's great for the Lakers, well, he's going to get more money somewhere else next summer. It's the Malik Monk effect where the Lakers have a bunch of guys on one-year deals and next year again, they're going to have a lot of new faces and teams with consistency are going to have an advantage early in the season. So this is something to keep an eye on with the Lakers and their front office moving forward. 
when you aren't able to ink players to long-term contracts, and I'm not saying you break the bank to play players or anything like that, but could you imagine if the Lakers had at least gotten some team-friendly deals here, if they managed to get some of these guys to sign up, I don't know, for two years on a veteran minimum deal? Heck, let's go wild. How about a team option? Wouldn't that be something if the Lakers were able to put themselves in an advantageous situation like that? Now, you may not have gotten some of these players, but I'm sure most of these guys, if you're Troy Brown Jr., if you're Lonnie Walker, you look at what Malik Monk did last year and you say, well, I want to do that too. I want to use the bright spotlight of LA and I want to play one year for the Lakers and then I'm going to get the bag next summer. I'm going to show out in purple and gold with the spotlight on me, everybody watching. And then I'm going to get paid next summer. That's what I want to do. Now the Lakers have got this reputation as being that team that you can go to for a year, increase your value, and then cash in. For the team, though, that's not a good thing. That is a lose-lose situation. Either the player is not good and you wind up parting ways with them. You look at Trevor Ariza and Wayne Ellington and some of the other veterans that they had last year. Or they're good and they wind up getting paid more than you'd want to pay them. Guys like... Uh, Malik Monk, again, I thought his contract was fair, but the Lakers couldn't afford Malik Monk at the contract number that he got from the Sacramento Kings. So this puts the Lakers in a very difficult spot moving forward and speaks to their roster build and some things that I think are missing here in terms of having the continuity and the importance of it. So when the Lakers take on the Warriors on opening night, when we don't know what we're a day away from the game and we don't know who's in their starting lineup, we're probably going to be in this place again to some degree next year as well because we're going to see massive roster turnover because the whole roster is filled with one-year contracts. Now, again, there, there is a place for having salary cap space and the Lakers have done what they can to preserve that and we'll see if they still have it after a Russell Westbrook trade, which I am expecting to happen sometime during this season. But as of right now, the strategy the Lakers are employing doesn't give you a lot of opportunity to develop any kind of stability year in and year out. And I think we're going to see that play out at the beginning of the season here. And again, this is evidenced by us not knowing who's in the starting lineup just a day before their first regular season game. But Lakers Nation, I am curious what you guys think. Who should be in the starting lineup for the Lakers on opening night? That's something you guys can throw in the comment section. Speaking of the Golden State Warriors, I got a lot of questions about this. A lot of people ask me, the Warriors just paid Jordan Poole. The Warriors just paid Andrew Wiggins. They gave them extensions. They did not pay Draymond Green. Could wind up being a target for the Lakers next summer if they do preserve cap space. Again, not what I'm expecting them to do. But if they do, he could be a target for them. But you look at these guys. You look at Andrew Wiggins. You look at Jordan Poole. Um, Wiggins was one of the guys that would have been at the top of the Lakers list next year in free agency. This is part of why we said you look at next year's free agent list and you have to start removing names. You can't look at that and say they're going to have their pick of any of these guys. And it wasn't a particularly deep list to begin with, but you can't look at it and say they're going to have their pick of any of these guys because what's going to happen is players are going to sign extensions and that's going to pull them off the market. Well, that's obviously already happened with Andrew Wiggins, who would have been a really nice fit with the Lakers. Gets $109 million from the Warriors. Jordan Poole gets $140 million from the Warriors. There are advantages to keeping your own guys. Again, going back to the Lakers, not committing multi-year deals to any of their players. 
that allows you to get their bird rights. If you have a player for three years on your roster, you get their bird rights. Two years, you get early bird rights for that player. It gives you some ability to hang on to them, even if you're over the salary cap. That's how the, the Warriors are able to get these guys and then keep them and then keep them long-term and continue to go over the salary cap. At this point, I think their luxury tax and roster is going to cost them almost half a billion dollars. Yeah, they're going to spend. The Warriors, look, the NBA, the CBA is designed, it's designed to make teams make some very difficult choices once their salary gets to a certain point. The Warriors should be at that point, but the Warriors are saying, no, we're just going to keep everybody. Now, we'll see if Draymond Green winds up being the breaking point next offseason or if they come to terms on an extension here this season. But as of right now, the Warriors just took the NBA's punitive policy that is supposed to punish them for keeping this roster intact, and they laughed at it. And you have to give them credit. You've got to give them credit. They are identifying players. All of these guys have been drafted. Poole and Draymond and Curry and Clay and Kaminga, Wiseman, Moody, goes on and on and on. They've got a bunch of players they found. Obviously, Wiggins, they got in a trade situation, but they've found all of these players and they're willing to pay to keep them. Some of the other owners around the NBA are a little bit nervous about that because the NBA ultimately doesn't want a system where the team that spends the most money wins. That's not what they want to see. They don't want to see owners who are able to spend their way to victories. And part of that is competition. Part of that is you don't want one team that just clearly can outspend everybody else because their owner is super wealthy. If that is the case, if that's the system we're going to see, watch out for the Clippers because Steve Ballmer has more money than any owner in all of professional sports, not just basketball, all of professional sports, period. So that's something to you know keep an eye on. But it's not just that. It's if one team wins by outspending everybody else, that increases the pressure from fan bases on every other owner to spend, right? And they don't want that. They don't want that. And so you've got a salary cap that artificially restricts how much players can make. But the Warriors are just kind of saying, well, whatever. You give us your salary cap. I'm going to spend anyway. We're going to keep our guys and we're going to keep this thing rolling. We've identified good players. Let's keep on keep this thing going. And again, credit to them for being willing to do this. I've got a lot of Lakers fans who are asking me, what, what's going on here? Why are the Warriors spending and yet the Lakers aren't willing to keep Alex Caruso around, right? That's the example we always go back to. And I think that's a fair criticism. Some of these teams right now, I think, in terms of their front office, they're starting to lap the Lakers in terms of the moves that they're making, the talent that they're finding. Look, Golden State is good now, but they're also making sure they're hanging on to guys like Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, they're going to keep, right? They've got these young players to where they might be able to move on from this Steph, Clay, Draymond era, this dynasty, let's call it what it is, this dynasty, and transition very quickly into the next generation of a winning Warriors team with guys like Poole, who's what Poole is, I believe, 21, 22 years old. They've got these players that they've managed to identify and hang on to. And I think the Lakers haven't quite done a great job at that. Now, part of that is the LeBron effect. You're supposed to trade away any pick that, that isn't nailed down in order to build a team that can win right now around LeBron James. And he's an all-time great. And there's some validity to that. But I think one of the things that we need to see from this Lakers organization on, an, on a front office level is starting to find ways to get players who are going to be part of the future. This team has been one in transition 
for essentially three seasons now where we've seen them just churn through players after players after players. And we're seeing teams that don't do that are finding ways to be more successful. The teams that are, are a little bit more conservative with their trades, a little bit more conservative with their roster moves, the teams that are a little bit more patient with young players that are letting them grow and letting them develop and letting them turn into what it, what it is that they will become. Those are the teams that are finding success, particularly Again, this is important and much easier said than done, the teams that hit on those draft picks. So when I see the Warriors spend like this and Lakers fans are saying, well, what, what is happening here? Why, why are the Lakers not spending like this? Part of this is the Lakers are kind of the, the mom and pop shop. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's a very family vibe around the Lakers, which is actually going to lead us into our next topic here in a moment. But it's a family vibe around the Lakers. You've got the Bus family who a lot of their wealth comes from the Lakers. And now they're competing against teams where their ownership is, is treating their NBA team. I mean, I don't mean to speak negatively of it, but kind of like a toy, right? When you've got Steve Ballmer, who makes tons and tons of money elsewhere, outside businesses. Joe Lacob makes tons of money outside businesses. It's a little different than the Lakers model. The Lakers model almost seems a little bit antiquating, antiquated having ownership where a bulk of their wealth comes from the team itself. And that doesn't mean that's a hurdle that you simply can't overcome or anything like that, but it just means at an organizational level in terms of identifying players, you've got to be that much more sharp and on the ball if you're not going to have the ability to spend to the degree that some of these other teams do. This is also something to keep in mind as we start to get into a new CBA, which is going to be negotiated soon, what that's going to look like and how all of this is going to factor in. But from the Lakers' perspective, look, I, I still believe the Lakers will spend when need be, when they feel like they should. Alex Caruso obviously is an exception to that, but it sure would be nice to see the Lakers start to identify guys that they would be willing to break the bank to keep around the way we're seeing the Warriors do right now. All right, last topic for today, for this show. And it's one I want to be a little bit careful with. So this actually came out a few days ago and haven't had a, an opportunity to really put this on the show just yet. Just didn't have a spot to put this in organically. Uh, Jeannie Buss was on the Rich Eisen show and she implied that part of the reason why there's so much intrigue into her quote unquote, inner circle, the people who are uh, have a voice in the Lakers front office, it has to do with her being a woman. And she questioned uh, to Rich Eisen, she questioned like, would people ask about this stuff, ask about who's helping her make these decisions if it were Mark Cuban, if it were Joe Lacob. And I think it's an interesting argument, right? Jeannie is saying that Mark Cuban isn't besieged by questions about who's in his inner circle. People aren't questioning how much power does Linda Rambis or Kurt Rambis, the Rambi, if you will, how much power do they have? People aren't wondering how much power does Magic Johnson still have? Who, let's not forget, he resigned very unceremoniously and yet still has a say within the organization. Phil Jackson, how much power does, does he have? How much power does, does he have in the running of the team and the decisions that are being made? And... I have a lot of respect for Jeannie Buss, but I think she's missing the point here. I think she's missing the point. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that her being a woman has been a factor or hasn't been a factor in her running this team and her being 
the governor of this team. I think it absolutely has. And in her path to get to where she is right now, it's certainly something she's had to battle against. Look, I have a daughter. I want her to live in a world where she has an equal opportunity to every man out there. That's the ideal. And Jeannie Buss has certainly dealt with a lot being a woman in a very, very male-dominated industry. There's no question about that, and I don't want to try to dismiss any of that. But I think that in this situation in particular, she's missing what it is that Lakers fans are actually concerned about. Are there some Lakers fans out there who, like Jeannie mentioned, that, that essentially fans and people who are questioning who's in that inner circle assume that she needs a crutch to lean on because she's a woman, and so they're questioning who's helping her with the decision-making. And are there some people out there who look at it that way? Some idiots? Probably. Probably. There's probably some idiots out there who look at it that way and say, well, because she's a woman, clearly she can't handle this, so who is it that's really making the decisions for her? But I would be willing to bet that the majority of fans don't feel that way. The majority of people out there aren't looking at this through that lens. I'm certainly not. I definitely haven't been. The reason why I've been concerned about who it is that's part of the decision-making power is because things have gone poorly, championship notwithstanding. See, here's the thing. If the Lakers were winning championships, if the Lakers were winning, everything was good. They're at the top of the Western Conference. Nobody's questioning. Nobody's questioning who's in the front office or who's making decisions. Everybody is just celebrating the fact that they made the right decisions. Talk about Mark Cuban. Bob Volgaris, he had had that whole situation to deal with. Who is Bob? Why does he have so much power? Why is there this conflict with Luka? Mark was absolutely asked about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Joe Lacob, we just talked about them. They're winning championships. Why would anyone question? Why would anyone question what they're doing in their front office? Because it's working. People only question stuff like this when it's not working. And we've seen this. We've seen where the Lakers have missed moves along the margin. They haven't hit the singles that they need to hit. They've probably given up a little too much value in certain trades and things of that nature. They haven't managed to sign any team-friendly contracts in I don't know how long, particularly if you continue to look like I do at these one-year veteran minimum deals as essentially lose-lose contracts. When stuff like that is happening, you have to question who it is that's making the decisions, particularly when there's nepotism involved. And I know that's a that's a dirty word. That's something that we look at negatively. But let's face it, the Lakers, their organization, the people who are running the franchise, well, there's of course, there's going to be nepotism involved there. It's a family business, right? Jeannie Buss is running the business that her dad purchased years and decades ago, right? You've got Jim Buss has been involved. Johnny Buss has been involved. Speaking of, of the Buss family, why does nobody ever question Jesse Buss and his involvement? Why do people celebrate Jesse and Joey Buss and their involvement in the front office and they question some of the other people in the Buss family? Because what we've heard is that Jesse is essentially in charge of finding the next talent, right? Of the draft, finding players, scouting, all of that. And guess what they've done really well at? Finding players late in the draft. They found Austin Reeves. You found Taylor Horton Tucker. You found Kyle Kuzma. You found Ivica Zubac. You found all, all of these different players they found late in drafts, either undrafted or they found them in the second round. Well, guess what? That gets rolled up under Jesse Buss. And so nobody questions him. Nobody questions 
what his role is. Nobody questions, hey, does he just have this job because of what his last name is or who he knows? We don't worry about that because it's been successful. I think that's what fans really care about is that the people who are making decisions are leading you down the path to success. If it's be if you're in that position because of what your last name is or because you are friends with somebody, but you are successful at that and you are taking this team that obviously so many people care about and you're leading it down the correct path, I don't think people are going to be too worried about who it is that's in that inner circle. But when things start to look shaky, people will start to ask, well, who's making that particular decision? Where is this decision coming from? And of course, it all rolls up under Jeannie Buss, but you look at this Lakers organization, and I'm not saying this is all negative, but you look at who's in power. It's friends and it's family. And that's where people start to question what, what got them these positions. What is it that they did that got them this job. Show me how they earned this job with merit. What is it that they did that proved that they are the right person to be making these decisions? Those kind of questions are going to be asked when things are not going well. And I think that's the way most people are looking at this situation, not looking at it as Jeannie Boss, as a woman, she can't handle the decision-making power. There must be somebody that she's, that she's leaning upon. I don't think that's really the way People are looking at this situation. And again, I said there's positives to having people who are within the bus family, who are making decisions, who are friends of the family, because you know what? They're also going to have a greater connection to the organization. You listen to Jeannie speak in the documentary series Legacy, which, by the way, was fantastic. Highly recommend that. But you listen to her speak. You can tell she cares. She cares about what happens to the team, right? That that matters. That matters. She cares on a personal level with what happens with this team. She grew up with this team. That matters. That does. Look, one of the benefits of being set up the way the Lakers are is that you know you've got people who love this organization, love this team. If you hire somebody in from the outside, you might not get that. You might get, get somebody where this is just a career move and something that they're doing on their path to something else. That's the downside. Again, there are some positives with being set up the way that the Lakers are. But when you're starting to make mistakes or what's perceived as mistakes, it's only natural that there's going to be questions about who it is that's making those, those decisions, particularly when you've got a structure that is as, well, confusing as the Lakers can be. So again, Jeannie had these comments on, on Rich Eisen she implied that there was some sort of sexism involved here with the questioning of who exactly is in her inner circle and who exactly is making the decisions for this team, or at least has a voice in the decision-making process. And I just think that she missed the mark on this one. I don't think that's really what's at play here. In my mind, it's more a question of success. And if there isn't success, well, why not? And are the right people in place in order to get you to a successful situation? But Lakers Nation, give me your thoughts on that in the comments down below. Again, I think Jeannie's done some incredible things. And I think that she has certainly dealt with some things as a, as a woman in a male-dominated in industry that are not good, that are terrible. 
And that's and that's not something that that we want to see. I just don't think that that applies to this particular situation. But Lakers Nation, again, give me your thoughts in the comments section. Don't forget, subscribe right here to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. We've got a big game coming up Tuesday night. Lakers taking on the Golden State Warriors. We will be live on playback during the game, breaking everything down all game long. Sean Davis and I will be on playback with you chatting, so you can use the link in the description below. Come join us over there. Watch the Lakers Nation stream of the game with us. Of course, make sure you do subscribe right here to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel or the Lakers Nation podcast if you're listening to the podcast version. Thanks, everybody. Till next time, stay safe and see ya. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.